as you know, if you are a member here, we are going through the epistle of Colossians. So we're in our second message. So even though you, you might have missed last week, you're just getting started with us. So I encourage you to come back uh, anytime. We're in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to move this if that's all right. Um, I tend to walk a little bit whenever I preach. So, all right, we're in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be going through verses 3 through 8. And as we walk through this, the title of this message is Thanks for Being Faithful. We're going to see the faithfulness of uh, these Christians and, and how Paul expresses their, their faithfulness. There is a man by the name of Lawrence Peter Barra. Now, that name might not sound very familiar to you on the surface. Uh, whenever I just give you his first and middle name, he was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, grew up there. And he was a, a World War II veteran in the Navy. In fact, he uh, was at the D-Day invasion of France. But that's not what he's really known for. He's more so known for uh, being a catcher for the New York Yankees from the, the 40s through the early 60s. He won 10 World Series wins. So you Rangers fans, y'all got nine to go, all right? We've got eight to go, so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so can you imagine 10 World Series? That's insane. Um, and a lot of people say, you know, well, that was back when there were a lot fewer teams. I don't care. You win 10 World Series. That's, that's impressive. He won three Most Valuable Player Awards, arguably the greatest catcher of all time. You might know him as who? Yogi Berra, right? He didn't go by his given name, Lawrence Berra. But really, after he retired, I mean, people don't even realize the amazing uh, accomplishments that he had in his baseball career because what he's really known for is really what is called his yogiisms. Have you ever heard of that? His yogiisms. So he, contrary to what people might think or have thought about him, he passed away in 2015, but he was a very intelligent man. And he would say these little one-liners that when he would say them, you would think, what? That doesn't really make much sense. But then you sit back and think of it, and you're like, actually, that's somewhat profound. Um, and some of them are really well-known. For, for instance, one was, you probably know several, if not all of these, when there's a fork in the road, what? Take it, Right? Now, you might say that doesn't make sense. You go left or you go right. But he said where he grew up in St. Louis, on his way home from school, when he would go home, there was, you could go left or you could go right. And he said, why would I go left or right when it's quicker to just go straight? I'd go straight, I'd be home. And so essentially saying, if you have a, you have a choice, you need to make a decision. There's a fork in the road, take it. Um, something else he said is you can observe a lot by watching. And you're like... This is true. You can observe a lot by watching. He later became a manager, and you, you've really got to stay on top of it. You've got, uh, you got to watch. And as a catcher, he had to watch a lot. He was, he was in charge of the whole game, essentially. When he was asked, uh, when he was living in New York of a famous restaurant that he used to go to, he said, no one goes there anymore because it's too crowded. 
So, like, okay, it's so crowded. There's not a lot of people that go. He's like, I don't go there anymore because it's too crowded. So you have that. And then the one he is most famously known for. It ain't over till it's over, right? It ain't over till it's over. Now, there, those closest to him, his daughters, uh, sons, and I think even his wife mentioned this, there are a lot of people that, that tried to make up these phrases and give him the credit for, and a lot of them didn't make sense. Now, some of those you might say don't really make sense, but when you sit back and think of them, they're simple statements, yet they're fairly profound. A game's not over till it's over, so you're always in the game until it's over, right? So things like that. Now, there are several that, things that said, Yogi Berra said, uh, but they said if it didn't make sense at the end of the day, he probably didn't say it because he had a purpose for what he was saying. In fact, he wrote a book later in life uh, called I Didn't Really Say Everything I Said. Um, and it's about his life. It's about, you know, uh, just the interesting life he, he led. Well, why, why am I even bringing up this man and these profound statements he made? Well, these statements he made, they were simple, yet they were profound. And what we'll see in this letter that Paul writes, it's a very simple letter. It's straightforward. It's to the point. It's simple. And especially if, if you have uh, grown up in the Christian faith, whether you were raised in church or, or what have you, there are a lot of things in this letter that you read and might say, well, of course that's true. That makes complete sense. And that's great. But you have to remember what is going on for Paul to say some of these things that he has said, that he, that he wrote, um, and, and Paul does this throughout the letter, makes very simple statements, yet they are profound. The reason he does this is because like last week, Dr. Spivey covered the purpose of uh, this letter to the Colossians, and it's to tell the faithful saints of the uh, headship of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. We have this early heresy that is creeping up in the church, Gnosticism, and it, it has a whole host of different ideas, one of them being, you know, that the, the physical realm is bad and only the spiritual is good. And when you think of that, well, who was Jesus? He was, yes, the son of God, but he also lived in the flesh. He was a human being. So with that worldview, that, that brings a lot of things into question in the Christian faith if someone were to think that. Also, they held this view of a, a higher secret type of knowledge that only certain people could attain, certain people could understand. And, and so with this type of thinking, this could also be dangerous in the church. And so Paul is emphasizing that this Christian faith, this faith that we're going to see these people were faithful in, and he's going to thank them for their faithfulness is simple, but it is profound. And we will see that in this letter as, as we break down these verses, starting off in, in verse three, Paul immediately says, we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're praying always for you. So he says, we're giving thanks to God, the father. This is one, this is one of the simple statements that actually is profound. Giving thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of this epistle? To establish the supremacy of Christ, who Jesus is, that Jesus is not only a human being, he is the son of God, God in the flesh, God with us. And so he's saying, I give thanks to God, the father of our, doesn't just call him Jesus Christ, calls him our Lord, the master, Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we're praying always for you. Now, if you were here last week, you remember Dr. Spivey mentioning that Paul most likely never met these believers here. So how in the world could he consistently give thanks? Because he says, we give thanks to our Uh, to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying, not just praying for you, praying always for you. So how could he give thanks to the Lord for some people whom he's never met? Uh, that, That speaks volumes because a lot of times when we pray, we pray for those closest to us and that's great. But there are a whole host of believers we have never nor will ever met who are extremely faithful, who are living out their faith and that we should be thankful for, we should pray for consistently but he's praying for them. Why? Because he's heard of their faith. This faith that they have has, has spread to back to Paul. Paul's gotten word of their faithfulness. Paul's gotten word of um, their lives in Christ, their identity in Christ, how they're living out their faith. And because of this, he's giving thanks. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, there he goes, uses that, that name, that title for Jesus Christ, Jesus, and the love which you have for all the saints. So why is he giving thanks to to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ for them? Because of their faith in Christ Jesus. Their faith in the Lord has grown. Their faith in the Lord uh, is impacting those around them and impacting those whom they have never met, including Paul. So he's giving thanks. So he's giving thanks for their faith, but he's also giving thanks for the love which they have for all the saints. This is a big deal. Love for, it doesn't say some of the saints, love for those they like, love for all the saints. There are a lot of people out there who claim that they love other people, but they have no faith in Christ, right? I love this people, I love, I love everyone. But then when you ask them about the Lord, well, they, they, they either don't believe in him, that he existed or what have you, they don't love Christ. But then you have the opposite extreme of people that, that, say, that say, I love Christ or I have faith in Christ, but they do not show their love for Christ by showing their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ and even those who don't even believe in Christ. And Paul speaks to this in other epistles. In 1 Corinthians, he says that you can have faith that moves mountains. You can, you can have all of these works, but if what? You don't have love, it's none effect. It's pointless. James then says, you can say that you have faith, but what? If you say, if you say I have all of this faith in the Lord, but if you what? Do not have works, it's dead. Now, of course, we know that he's not saying that, that you have to have a faith that earns salvation. He's not saying that, but he's saying if your faith that says, if the faith you say that you have is not causing you to live a changed life, is not causing you to live a life of obedience and, and impact those around you, then it's dead. And so it's not an either or, it's a both and. And so Paul is thanking the Lord because they have this faith in Christ that stands out, but they also have this love for all the other saints. You know, you know the, the saying goes, it's, it's hard to like some people, but we're called to love everybody. And, and that's the truth. There are people that you might not have anything in common with, but you're called to love them. I'm called to love them. 
Why? Because they're made in God's image. And if we truly love the lost, we're going to try and win them to Christ. And especially the believers around us, we really are called to love them. Why? Because Jesus says that's how the world will know what? That you are my disciples if you have love to one another. So we have to examine how we as Gambrel Street are living our lives. Are we living as though we love one another? Do we love one another? Are we expressing that love through our works, through our faith? Because that's really how we impact the community at large. And so Paul is thanking them or thanking the Lord for their faith in Christ and the love that they have for each other. Here's another simple and yet profound statement that he he brings. He says, they have faith in Christ and love for the saints. And then the starting of verse five, which we're about to cover, they also have hope. He brings faith, hope, and love again. He, he talks about that in 1 Corinthians. I mean, that's one of his most well-known passages that he ever wrote. And he brings it up again. He's grateful for their faith and the love and then their hope. Now let's look at verse five. He says, <clears throat> well, before we start reading verse five, because it's all together, it's, it's all one sentence. Let's Go over what we've covered. Verse three, we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So we see in verse five, this word because. Now, there are a couple ways in which you can look at this, and I want, I want to cover it. Is he saying, we give thanks to God, and then there's this clause, and then he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven? Is he saying, we give thanks to God because of the hope laid up for you in heaven? Is that what he's saying? That's one way you can look at it. Another way you can look at it is saying, we're, we're grateful, we give thanks to God, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, and you're only able to have this faith and you're only able to have this love for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. There's, there's one of two ways to look at it. Is, is Paul trying to say, we give thanks to you because there's been this hope laid up for you in heaven? Well, I mean, th- there's truth to that. I'm sure he's grateful that they have a hope laid up for them in heaven. Or is he saying, you know, the only way you have this faith in Christ Jesus and the only way you're able to love one another is because of the hope you have laid up for you in heaven. I think it's the second. I think it's the latter. I think he's saying, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, and by the way, the only way you're able to have this hope and this or this, this faith in Christ Jesus and this love for all the saints is because you're motivated by the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven. I think that's what Paul is is saying here. Now, also, what's, what's this hope? What's this hope he's speaking of? Well, in scripture, there are three ways hope is constructed, is used. One is there's the act of hoping, right? I hope this, you know, I hope the Cowboys win, right, John? I hope the Cowboys win. That's the act of hoping, and you can hope all you want. I don't know how that works, but 
the act of hoping. I hope in this. The, there's scriptural evidence of this. You see it in 1 Peter uh, 1 Verse 13, he says, uh, Peter writes, therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace. So you have the, the uh, act of hoping. You also have the object for which you hope, right? And that is my hope is that we win. You know, the object is winning. The hope is that we win. The other way is in the person who secures this hope. And you can find an example of this in the very epistle we are in, in chapter one, verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So how is he using this word hope? Is it the act of hoping? Is it the object uh, for which we hope, or is it the person who secures the hope? I think it's the second one. I think it's this hope, the, the object that we're hoping for, this object laid up in heaven. But I want us to go back and cover what I, I said just a moment ago when he says, we give thanks because of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Are you struggling in your faith? Now, you don't have to answer that. You can answer in your heart. Are you struggling in your faith? Have you seemed to hit a wall in your faith? You say, I'm doing everything I can. You know, I'm reading my Bible. You see me here, I'm in church. I go to church. If you're in seminary, I'm, I'm doing my studies. I'm doing everything I can to be faithful and growing in my faith. And it seems like nothing is happening. Or maybe, maybe you have been growing in your faith and you're saying, man, I'm having a hard time loving this person. This person has hurt me. This person has betrayed me. This person is not living a life that is pleasing to God and I'm called to love them and I'm having a hard time doing it. It's okay to be in that state, to say that you're not in that, in that frame of mind when you really are, you're lying to yourself. So have you ever been or are you in that state right now where you're struggling in your faith or you're having a hard time loving someone, or both, maybe it's both. And if you're not, you either have in the past or you will in the future. Paul has the answer to this problem. And he, he expresses it by how he's grateful for these Christians here. You grow in your faith a multitude of ways, obviously, and, and you, you grow in love towards others in a multitude of ways. But he's saying here, this, you have this faith, you have this love for others because of this hope that is laid up for you in heaven. If you're struggling with your faith, if you're struggling in temptation, if you're struggling to love others, what do you do as a believer? You fix your eyes on the hope that has been laid up for you in heaven. That's how you can get through it. Think about it for a moment. If you're struggling whether, whether it's Christians in other countries who are suffering through persecution, what does Paul say? It's light and momentary affliction as compared to, as opposed to the faith, the, the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. If you're struggling with growing in your faith, if you keep your eyes set on eternity and your eyes set on the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, you, have, you can say, wow, God has given me this gift, this eternal gift that I have, and therefore, I, whenever my perspective is on that, I can grow. 
or man, I'm having a hard time loving this person, but you know what? God has redeemed me. I'm unlovable. (laughs) There's no way that I deserve the love that God has shown me. And not only that, he has laid up a hope for me in heaven. I can love this person. I can forgive this person. So you're struggling in your faith. You're struggling in your growth. You're struggling in your walk with Christ, loving others. Focus on the hope that has been laid up for you in heaven. And I guarantee you, it might not be easy, but I guarantee you that's how you can grow. But what is this hope? I mean, we can, we can say, well, just look and think about the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. But, but what is this? Paul says, This hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard, they heard of it before, in the word of truth, the gospel. It's the gospel. It's what he says in, I think it is 1 Corinthians. It's either 1 or 2 Corinthians. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and raised the third day according to the scriptures. This gospel that changes not just lives, changes, you know, countries, changes the world, This is the gospel, this hope that is laid up for you in heaven. This is what changes lives. And so he's saying this word of truth, which is the gospel, that's this hope. And not only that, it's not just the gospel. He says at the end of verse six, and we'll cover uh, the rest of verse six and seven, but in a second, but he says, you understood the grace of God in truth. This gospel is what you have hope in. This gospel is what has changed you. And it's from the grace of God of God in truth. And we'll see this theme of not just the supremacy of Christ, but this gospel and this grace of God in truth fleshed out throughout this epistle uh, in, in this series. So that's the hope, that Jesus has died, buried, rose again, and he has come to save and redeem the world. And that is the hope those of us who have called on him can look to that and say, you know what? That is where my identity is. My identity is in Christ. And because of that, I can grow. He says it in the rest of verse six, that this gospel has come to you just as in all the world. So they're already seeing the impact of this gospel and it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing. This gospel is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. It's constantly changing lives. It's impacting those around them. And that's what the gospel does. It bears fruit. Our faith should be steadily growing. It doesn't mean that it's constantly growing, right? We, we have times in our lives where, as I mentioned earlier, we're struggling in our faith or, or it, doesn't mean, it definitely doesn't mean we're perfect. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you know that you're not going to be perfect. However, it's this constant desire, this, this want to grow in the Lord, You take a step back, you sin, you say, this is not who I am. This is not who I've been called to be. I want to be a more faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And and as I was studying this, it made me think of, um, it it caused me to read prayers of people in church history and the impact and and the, the depth of the prayers of some of these people that I read. And what, what stood out to me was, is, these people who were giants of the faith realized they weren't perfect. In fact, the closer it seemed they got to God, the more they were aware of their sin. 
And that should be, that should be us. But it, does that mean that they're not growing in their faith? No, it, it means they're being more aware of who they are. And because of that, they're depending even more on the Lord. They're depending even more on Jesus Christ. And because they're depending even more on Jesus Christ, what's happening? Their lives are being changed. They're constantly bearing fruit and they're steadily progressing in their faith. So I have to ask this of you as I have had to ask myself, are you constantly bearing fruit? Are you steadily growing in your faith? What action, what steps are you taking to do this? How are you going about doing this? Living in total dependence on the Lord. And then in conclusion, verses seven and eight, we read, just as you learned it from Paphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the spirit. Paul uh, speaks highly of this man named Epaphras. He, he was likely the one who, who planted this church. He, he also writes uh, about him in chapter four, verse 12. He says, he's one of your number, a bond slave of Christ Jesus. He sends you his greetings always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. So this man, Paul, he never met these people, most likely. And it was from this man, Epaphras, who, who told Paul of their faithfulness that he is giving thanks and writing a letter to them. That's the impact that these people had on Paul and on others. And it made me think, if someone were to walk in our church, walk in Gambrel Street Baptist Church, people who don't know us and were to leave and go to their place, whether it's their place of worship or tell others about Gambrel Street, would they be able to say the same thing? Would they be able to look at our lives in the time of meeting with us and worshiping with us and say, you know, those are people who have grown or who have faith in Jesus Christ and have a love toward others. Could people say that about us? Just like Paul was able, Epaphras was able to say to Paul about the believers here. That's something for us to think about. He informed Paul of their faith and because of that, he's encouraging them. And we as believers are to be encouraged by this. We are to be uh, reminded that this gospel message, it's simple, yet it's profound. Because this letter written nearly 2,000 years ago, we're reading it today and seeing how much it has impacted lives through centuries. And how are we able to grow in our faith just as they grow, grew in theirs? It's focusing on the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. So as we think of our lives and we think of uh, the impact that we have on those around us, I mean, as I said, this letter was written nearly 2,000 years ago and we're still reading it today. You have uh, your sphere of influence. You have a major influence on those around you, much more than you realize. And are people able to say about you what Paphras was able to say to Paul about these believers, that their faith in Christ was strong and it was growing and they had a love 
for others. And if, if someone in your life can say that about you, you will have people be thankful for you and your walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for each person here um, that has set time aside to worship you as one body, to sing songs of praise to you, and then to open the word together and see the truths that you have um, fleshed out in your word, Lord. The gospel, we thank you uh, for the gospel that it is simple in the sense that anybody can understand it, yet it is profound and the depths are untapped, Lord. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. And I pray that we will recognize not if, but when we struggle in our faith and when we even struggle to love those around us or um, whether they're our brothers and sisters in the faith or they're unbelievers, may you help us fix our eyes on the hope that you have laid before us, not for anything that we have done, but for everything you have done. And because of that, we would be able to grow in our faith. We'd be able to grow in love for others because you first loved us. And I pray that anybody who is here or watching online who does not know you, I pray that your word will will just um, touch their heart. As your word says, your word never returns void. So I pray that it will impact them and that they will come to you in faith and that they will trust in you so that they too might have a hope for them laid up in heaven. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.